0: I want us to go back to the passage we've kind of grounded ourselves in over these last few weeks. And I'm so grateful for this passage. I hope it's speaking to you as it is spoken to me in these difficult times. I'm reading again this morning from Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. I commend you to turn your Bibles there as we we begin. But this is the writer of Hebrews as he proclaims the word of the Lord. He says, Therefore... Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May God add his blessing to his word. I, again, appreciate your faithfulness in determining and joining us for worship this morning. This is a troubling and difficult time, as you know, in our world. And so if there is any time that we need to be together, that time is now. If there is any time we need to hear a word from the Lord, that time is now. If there is any time that we should be seeking him in prayer and, and petition, that time is certainly right now. Hebrews ten twenty five says, Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another even as the day draws near. And I tell you this morning, I report to you that the day is drawing near, that today we are never more nearer than what we are today to the return of our Lord. So I want to thank you for being faithful to connection this day. During this season of Lent, I have uh, determined that we would spend some time studying the book of Hebrews in general, and specifically in this passage that we've just read. The truth is, of course, I had no idea how relevant this passage would be when the Lord led me in this direction, how much our world has changed in these last few weeks. But over these last six weeks, we have been challenging each other to fix our eyes on Jesus. In Hebrews 11, we recounted the great heroes of the faith who have gone before, and they were faithful in their time. But in this passage of Hebrews, the writer reminds us that Jesus is better than any of those heroes. We are told to follow and pursue Jesus in our time. And so we consider him, and not our circumstances. We consider him, and not our own ability to save ourselves. But when we consider him, the Bible tells us we gain confidence in this race we're called to run. I think of Corrie ten Boom who said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. I hope that this morning, Deep within, you are finding rest. The Hebrew writer admonishes us, don't throw away your confidence. As Jesus is our focus, he is our example, he is our hope. That is never more true than it is today. And I want you to know with Resurrection Sunday just a couple of weeks away, we know that that is most likely going to look much different this year. The truth is that the church Building won't be full. We won't be dressing up. We probably won't hear a great anthem from one of the choirs. But I do want to tell you something this morning, church. We will still shout in unison his praises because we know and remember these two things, that Jesus died for us and he rose again to show us the way. So this morning, I want us to look at one more phrase in this passage to concentrate on. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. And then he writes this. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Now, you read this, and instantly you realize that there are two competing notions here. We have joy and shame, suffering, and glory. The writer reminds us that Jesus endured the cross. He suffered on Calvary. But then, right in the midst of this, we hear this word joy. And at first blush, it kind of seems out of place. I mean, when we experience pain and suffering, when we go through a time of shame and darkness, we're not thinking about joy. And yet, when we think about what Jesus did on Calvary, I think we can pretty much understand the suffering part, the shame part. Paul says in Galatians 3.13 that Christ took upon himself the curse of the tree. And yeah, you die on a cross, naked, beaten, crowned with thorns, spit upon, and mocked by the crowds. Jesus was a man completely innocent, no guilt of sin whatsoever, and yet he was forced to endure the penalty of sin and shame. We get the curse part of the cross. If you have ever done something wrong, and you were found out, When that is exposed, there is and ought to be a sense of shame. But think of the intensity of the shame that Jesus Christ endured when all the weight of the world's sin was laid upon him. Sin in all its ugliness was exposed at the cross. He held the sins of the world on his shoulder. We we get to some degree the shame part, the suffering part of the cross. But this passage emphasizes something else. It says he despised the shame. He ignored it. He ran through it. Why? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Joy. Right there. Now, some of us this morning, as we experience these uncertain days... We see the economy coming to a halt. We have fear concerning this virus. We absorb the daily grind of headlines schools closed, healthcare workers at risk, isolation, social distancing. This is a time of trial. But in the midst of this time, I hope that you've been able to find some joys too. Maybe there's joy in just slowing down. Joy in taking time to pray and enter into his presence. Do you know that they haven't canceled that? They haven't canceled quiet time with Christ. For for Mary and I, we have all our kids home back from school. And so, yeah, we're playing games and Watching seasons of twenty-four old seasons, I I, I thought I was going to have to do yard work at home, at home alone this year. But now that my boys are all back, I've got a whole crew that can help me. And so I see online and through social media, families playing together, walking together, worshiping together. And so I hope, in the midst of all of this, you've been able to find some joy. Now let me say something to you this morning if you're all alone, and some of you are, and and that can be hard and it can be lonely. Call someone up. Laugh with them. Let them know that you care about them. I see the kindnesses of people checking in on one another, helping each other out. The church just being the church. Do you know they can't cancel that? And it brings me joy as a pastor watching that happen. But I also want you to notice something else here, that the joy we find in the middle of this struggle is not what the Hebrew writer is telling us. Listen, I want you to know there was no joy in the cross. It was brutal and ugly and deadly and cursed. In fact, remember the Bible says in your presence, there is fullness of joy. But what we know about the cross is, is, that the father turned his back on his son at the cross. The presence of God left and so no joy was there. There was no joy in the cross for Jesus. There was a joy, however, set before him. There was no joy in the cross. The joy came as a result of the cross. You see when Jesus took up the cross, he was able to look ahead and beyond the cross to the coming joy. And the question begins then what was that joy? What didn't Christ have in heaven that he could only have down here on earth? He had a crown in heaven, he had all authority in heaven, he had glory in heaven. What in the world didn't he have up there? that he could only have down here. And then I remember what the scriptures say. There was one reason that Christ came into this world. Jesus said, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. He came to redeem sinners. He came to redeem you. He would not, he could not, he did not fathom facing eternity without you. And this is one of the great mysteries of the gospel. You were the joy set before him. You were the ultimate prize. He went to the cross for you. When when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, having paid the penalty of sin having risen and from the grave and conquered death he sat down at the right hand of the father so that when your judgment day comes listen if we receive christ as our savior we can christ can say to the father his sin has been paid for he's not guilty the accuser may try to accuse you but there is jesus standing before the father saying He's not guilty. She's not guilty. Let them come into heaven and enjoy the the destiny of glory that we've set before them. Hebrews 2.10 tells us that he brought many sons and daughters to glory. You were the prize. You were the joy set before him. The worst thing that ever happened to Jesus was the best thing that could have ever happened to you. And so may I encourage you with these words this morning from Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness of his son, Jesus Christ. Think about what that says. We keep running because where Jesus is sitting there is a sense we will sit there too. Paul in Romans 8 says, for I consider these present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so that is our prize. We keep running because we know what the finish line holds. Now, you need to remember this. This letter is written to a church that is struggling and suffering. Now the Bible is clear, they had not yet suffered to the point that they had become martyrs. They had not yet shed their own blood, the Bible says. But in chapter 10, we read that they had been publicly humiliated. Some had had their property confiscated. Others had been put in prison. So this was a suffering church. They were facing difficult and uncertain times Hebrews is a book that reminds them that things might be tough and they might even get tougher before they get better. And yet the theme of this book is Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Now this is what I've been thinking about this week. Almost universally, the false religions of this world regard suffering as a mark. Of the disfavor of the deity. In other words, if if you're suffering, it must mean that God is upset with you. It must mean if you're hurting, if you're going through pain, that God is mad at you. That's the thinking of the world. The thinking is you better get that right. You better get right with God so you'll stop suffering. But I want to make certain that you catch this. Listen, the concept of a carefree life, a struggle free life without stress and suffering is just the opposite of the Christian life. And in fact, it is a stark contrast to what Jesus said and predicted in his word. He doesn't promise us that we're never going to struggle. In fact, he says in this world, you will have trouble. But he does promise us this. He says, I will be with you. And the cross proves that we have a God who will endure suffering with us. That's the power of the cross. We're not alone. And here's the thing, and maybe you don't want to hear this right now. Maybe this is hard to hear, but suffering and pain have the ability to actually move you closer to God than you've ever been before. James 1.2 says, consider it all joy, brothers, when you face various trials. There, there's that word again, joy, right there in the midst of pain and suffering and trial. How can I have joy when I'm going through a trial? Well, it's because of what the trial can produce in your life. I suspect the moments we grew the most were some of the hardest moments in our lives. Sometimes we don't know how much we need God until it becomes clear that God is the only thing we need. George Barna said it this way. He said, God loves people enough to allow them to experience a crisis in their lives because brokenness can lead them to become totally dependent upon him. I found this verse in Deuteronomy this week. I wanna just recast it for you. Deuteronomy 32, verse 36, it says this, the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone. Can I read that to you again? The Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their power is gone. You know, one of the most merciful and gracious things God can do. Is show us that we have no power. This morning, I wonder, is there anyone who is listening who feels like, I just don't have any control. The truth is, we're all waking up to that. We have no control of what is going on in our world or what will happen tomorrow. We have no power at all. You can't control anything. And God alone knows how deep and and pervasive our reliance upon ourselves is, how we think we can manage everything. I don't know what God is doing in the world today, but I have discovered this: that disease is often disenthroning. What do I mean by that? Disease is often disenthronement. Disease often reali- or allows us to understand and realize that we can't do anything, we can't control anything. and it allows us to take off those thrones, or those things or people in our lives that shouldn't be on the throne of our lives to begin with. And so I tell you, listen, President Trump is not going to save us. Friends, Congress is not going to save us. Our, our governor is not going to be able to save us. Our health care workers, as much as we love them, and we should pray for them daily, but they cannot ultimately save us. But only God through Jesus Christ who went to the cross and rose from the grave, can save us. Do you know that truth this morning? Are you living in that confidence today? There was a popular movie some time back. It was called Black Hawk Down. I was reminded of a scene recently. U.S. soldiers were in Somalia. They were fighting feverishly, trying to provide peace for that land a nation that had been torn apart by civil war and tribal strife. But at one scene, a team of soldiers were ambushed in their Humvee and vicious gunfire was mowing them down. The driver of the Humvee suddenly screams out, I'm shot, I'm shot, I can't drive. His superior officer, with bullets flying all around, screamed out, Everybody's shot, get in there and drive. Now, I'm sure this morning that a lot of us have been wounded. We're anxious, we're scared, we're wondering what's going to happen next. You're wondering about your job, you're wondering about your health and the health of those you love. You're anxious by these events that are out of your control. But I want to remind you of this, friend. If you are feeling powerless, that may be exactly where God wants you to be. Because Jesus Christ went to the cross. But now he is on the throne at the right hand of the Father. And he is all powerful. And you know what? (laughs) He loves you. He cares about you. He is concerned about your situation. And he is faithful. He looked beyond the cross to the joy set before him. And that joy was you. He loved you. Charles Spurgeon said, to trust God in the light is nothing, but to trust him in the dark, that is faith. I'm asking us as a church, I'm asking you as an individual, will you this morning commit to put your trust in Christ? To keep believing, to keep hoping, to keep driving. Because there is a joy ahead that in spite of this pain and suffering of this moment, we're not going to to grow weary. We're not going to lose heart. You keep driving. Don't throw away your confidence. The cross proves that those who trust him will only see joy and glory ahead. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this glorious truth. Lord, when we reflect on the cross, we think of the suffering and the shame that you endured, that you took upon yourself our sin. But Lord, you did it because we were your joy. Lord, may we all come to a point where we learn to enjoy your presence above every other thing. May you be our portion. May you be enough. And if anyone is listening today, Finds himself anxious. May they put their trust in you, knowing with certainty, Lord, that you are on the throne. You are in control. We have no power, but all authority and power belongs to you. And for that, we praise you. And so, Lord, help us to see the wonder of the cross, the beauty of the cross. Thank you, Jesus for your loving us. I pray this in your name, amen.